Hi, it's Hal Anderson. Thanks for checking out the daily podcast for my show, Connecting Winnipeg. And if you can, please listen live weekdays from 10 to noon on 680 CJOB. Sharples here, founder of the Manitoba Monarchs Facebook group. Yvonne, good morning. Morning, Hal. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for jumping on for a couple of minutes here. You and I have talked uh, several times uh, over the past a few years. Um, I wanted to bring you on because now monarch butterflies have been named the latest endangered species. And listen, maybe they haven't had that label officially, but we know that they have been endangered uh, for a long time now, right? Well, there's more controversy <laughs> to, to that whole situation. So, first of all, the endangered listing comes from an organization called the IUCN, which is the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. And they are involved in data gathering and analysis and all kinds of advocacy and education and to influence, encourage, and assist. Uh, everyone throughout the world to conserve nature. So this designation of endangered that came out as a release from them last week doesn't affect the status of them in Canada at all. Hmm. Isn't so that interesting? One. So who, who knew there would be controversy around monarch butterflies? Oh, you know, when you get involved in the monarch world and uh, dealing with studies and things, there's always controversy. So what is the most interesting that has happened in June, one of the uh, preeminent monarch uh, insectologists who who does lots of studies and is always controversial, uh, him and a group of his associates published a, a study that said they are not endangered at all. <laughs> hmm. And what's your opinion? Regardless of how we classify them or, you know, what rationale we use, I think all of our creatures and our plants in nature to bring the awareness of even their existence is important. Yeah, that's well said. You're you're right, and I, I feel that same way as well. You can't argue the fact, though, that compared to when I was a kid, and that's all I can do is compare to when I was a kid. To when I was a kid, there are not near as many monarchs as there were then. And uh, the odd time will get a summer where you tend to see a few more of them. But we're definitely not seeing as many as we once did. No, I totally, I totally agree with you on that. And I would say that regardless of what side of the argument that one is on regarding the the monarch population, that there has certainly been a decline in the last 20 years. And that's, you know, the climate change and the pesticides and loss of habitat and all those kinds of things. And what is most scary right now, or the, the part that I'm worried about, because insects and animals are much more adaptable to us than humans are to most things. And the big danger to me is that we may lose their migration. So when you talk about not seeing and all of us agreeing that we're not seeing as many as we used to, they could be adapting to the climate change. So where, you know, they normally for years and when you and I were growing up, we saw lots of them. But as the climate keeps changing and these extreme weather events affect them, they may end up not coming up 
as far as Manitoba as often. Right, from Mexico. Gotcha. And uh, yeah. I have a question for you. Are we seeing more monarchs this summer or not? What's the summer been like so far? <laughs> this summer has been horrid, to say the least. Uh, the bats do, again, um, most uh, to our spring. So in Manitoba, we had a late spring. We had a cold spring, and we had a wet spring. And that also extends... Um, the, the weather patterns or the extreme weather extended into the U.S. So when they were coming north, they were running into droughts in Oklahoma. And the tornado season, which what used to started, start in like June or July, is starting in April. And this is all when they're coming through. So that scatters them and does all kinds of strange things. So this year, from what I can determine looking at the reports of first sightings of monarchs, here and that kind of stuff, it looks like, well, they certainly were stalled out um, in sort of the, the Midwest U.S. somewhere. And that, that left those monarchs sitting there and reproducing where normally there would have been a huge percentage of them that would have kept flying north and reached here. So they laid their eggs and had their babies, and now you have a month's delay before we have a chance of getting more up here, generally speaking. So they were late. And Yvonne, and, yeah, and Yvonne, end with how people can attract monarchs, because I guess milkweed would be the best way to attract a monarch to your yard, correct? Absolutely. Uh, plant milkweed, plant native milkweed, and uh, don't forget to also have pollinator flowers in your garden. So that's native Manitoba plants, things like goldenrod and bee balm and those kinds of things because not only do they need a place to lay their eggs and for their caterpillars to eat the butterflies also need food mm-hmm. hey Vaughn, before i let you go how many members have you got on the manitoba monarchs facebook group now i'm just shy of 2100 nice beautiful yeah. well i encourage people if they're a fan of the monarch butterfly to go and join yvonne appreciate your time thanks a lot Thanks for having me, Hal. Always a pleasure. Tati Sunavon Sharples, founder of the Manitoba Monarchs Facebook group. Joining us now, Joy Smith, former MP and founder of the Joy Smith Foundation. Joy, good morning. Good morning, Hal. How are you? Good. Thank you for uh, coming on. You ran into our Jim Toth the other day, and, and he said, call Joy. Uh, she's got an update, and so I appreciate you coming on here uh, today. We talked near the start of the war uh, in in Ukraine, and at that point, uh, many people, mostly women and children, were trying to flee the country, and human trafficking was an issue. You now have somebody on the ground there. Are we still seeing this happening? Well, actually, we have three people on the ground right now at this time, and it's improved greatly in terms of how they monitor people. You see, what happens, Hal, is in a war-torn country, there's such a surprise when the missiles come down and people have to flee. And, of course, traffickers get right in there when there's chaos. But, um, you know, now they do so many uh, checks. It's improved greatly. Uh, they have to have documents when they go from one country to another. Um, the, um, the gatekeepers, if you want to call them that, um, make sure they know who's picking them up and where they're going. 
and uh, Poland, Germany, and France have done extremely uh, a lot of great things to help um, to help the refugees right now. Whenever, so, whenever um, you see, uh, whenever you see bad people doing bad things, in this case, we're talking human trafficking. It's always about opportunity, right? They capitalize on an opportunity where people are desperate. That's it exactly, and they're well organized. They know what to do. They know how to do it. They can mobilize themselves very quickly, and uh, I really have to give credit to you know to Poland, Germany, France, and all the helpers who have helped, uh, you know, make sure that they know where these refugees are going and who's picking them up, because it was quite um, a worrisome situation uh, a few months ago. And in the refugee camps themselves, you know, especially the train stations, where it's very, very crowded, uh, a lot of people, you know, they have uh, f- a good food. There's a lot of food that's supplied to them. Uh, the biggest issue right now is a lot of people is the cold. It's very, they're very cold. And when they get into, to cars and situations and they have babies and young children, uh, you know, so that's something that, um, I think can be shored up a little bit. Also, the donations have gone down, um, for the refugees in, in Ukraine and uh, because people, it, it's what people do, like, you know, when it first happens, people are very much on board to help. That's with the human trafficking. We had many people that were on board to help uh, stop the human trafficking that happened. And, and through our foundation, uh, we actually um, had people on the ground, well, three, on them, three of them that uh, spent time in Kiev and other places um, and in the refugee camp. So we had a real good um, situation um, briefing all the time on what was actually happening in the country. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad to hear things are improving and that you've got people on the ground there, uh, and, and that's good news. Well, while I have you, Joy, we're talking uh, today again, we've talked many times about this, but we're focusing in today again on youth crime. And human trafficking is is a part of this in the sense that um, when someone is trafficked, they're often young, desperate, right back to the idea of opportunity and these bad people using opportunity to do bad things. Talk a bit about youth crime in Winnipeg and in Manitoba relating to human trafficking. Well, it's, you know, all youth are vulnerable. It doesn't matter what family you come from, and it's because they're kids. And so what the traffickers do is they influence them over the Internet or personally now that things have opened up. Um, you know, all gangs traffic. I mean, everybody knows that. But it's also other entrepreneurs who will, um, they call themselves entrepreneurs, that zero in on very vulnerable young kids. They don't realize, like the public doesn't realize that all kids are vulnerable because they're kids. And they don't have the experience that a lot of people have, just life experience. Experience when someone is kind to them or um, sympathizes with a situation they're in, they immediately become their friends. And during the pandemic and even now, the Internet is really critical in having lots of cautions around uh, how the kids use the Internet because the, the, the traffickers use it all the time. They change their faces. They change their voices. Young girls can think they're talking to a 16-year-old kid when they're talking to a 55-year-old man. 
mm-hmm. and they get them to meet them places. And it's it's that opportunity you're talking about, Hal. It's the opportunity, and the greatest opportunity for traffickers is young kids, grooming young kids. They don't even know they're being groomed. That's why we do all the work we do in schools and in community centers and everything, so people are aware of how uh, they operate. Yeah, it is about education and awareness for sure. I can't help but make a connection to another uh, big story that we're talking about today, what's happening in hockey. And as many of my listeners have suggested in text messages and emails today, you know, yeah, I heard about that stuff in hockey years ago, never said anything. I think people need to realize that human trafficking is happening right outside their door. And if they see something, they should say something. Yes, they should, Hal. And when you hear the hockey situation, Sheldon Kennedy is a personal friend of mine, and what he said on uh, CTV last night was so accurate. The higher-ups in these organizations should all be fired. They need to get new blood in there, and they need to be very strong against sexual exploitation. And research has shown, and common sense has shown, and the the 7,000 cases we've worked with over the 25 years has shown that if someone is sexually exploited, they're more likely to be trafficked. They're even more vulnerable to being trafficked. So um, this hockey situation that that everybody ignored because, you know, it was uh, people who, you know, had money, people who relied on these very talented uh, sports figures to to bring in the goals and help their teams, and yet a lot of them were exploited. There's other situations where, you know, the situation with uh, the hockey players who raped this young girl, uh, that's in the courts right now. And, you know, these things happen, and we hear a lot of it that never hear, hits the paper right here in our offices. And, you know, it's prevalent. People have to stop. They have to not allow this. People should be fired. If they're in an organization where they know this is happening and it's been proven that they know this is happening and they've ignored it, they should lose their jobs. They should be blacklisted from that. So I'm really disappointed in the organizations around uh, hockey because hockey is Canada's foremost sport. A lot of young people like to play it. Girls are getting involved more and more in it as well as, as boys. And this is not an example. Sheldon Kennedy is my hero. He is just an incredible man who spoke out, and he has become a personal friend because he's very firm in what he says because he knows how it happens and he knows how prevalent it is. Joy Smith, appreciate your time. Thank you. You're so welcome, Hal. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Joy is a former MP and founder of the Joy Smith Foundation.